1: On the other side of the water they call La Manche, they're beginning the approach to a big election next spring. The biggest, Le Président. And there's a new right-wing populist in the running, Eric Zemmour.
2: Throughout the summer, if you were driving around France and if you were driving around Paris, you would suddenly almost see on bridges or road posters saying, Zemmour, President, Zemmour, President.
1: He's even older than me, but he's a writer who's never run for office before. All he's ever run, you could say, is his mouth, which seems to be working for him. There are a lot of, a lot of French people who buy
2: his books, who listen to him, his television programmes. He has a real audience in France, and all these ideas that make your hair stand on end very
1: often, they go down well. You're listening to Stories of Our Times and The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm David Aronovich. Today... Eric Zemmour, anti-gay, anti-migrant, anti-feminist, president? Seven months is both a long and a short time in politics, so the early stages of the French presidential election of 2022 can be said to have already begun. And journalists in France, including the Time Zone Paris correspondent Adam Sage, are out and about.
2: I went to, on the face of a very obtuse intellectual debate at the Palais des Congrès in Paris. The Palais des Congrès is a great big concert hall that seats 3,700 people.
1: Adam was there to see a debate between Eric Zemmour, a far-right journalist and commentator flirting with running for president, and left-wing philosopher Michel Onfray.
2: In normal circumstances, you probably expect a couple of hundred to turn out to see a far-right intellectual debate with Michel Onfray, who's a left-wing philosopher, on the face of it, although he's he's quite right-wing as well, I think. This debate, very earnest, many historical references going back over millennial references, really. You wouldn't have thought it had anything to attract the crowds about it at all, but it did.
1: Michel Onfray et Éric Zemmour
2: Place was full and it was a full for the first time since Charles Aznavour's last concert in Paris.
1: What could you say about the composition of the audience?
2: White to start with. The, the Palais des Congrès is on the Poc de Bayeux, which is on the Paris ring round. So, I mean, you only need to go out there to see it in multi ethnic France. It wasn't that inside.
1: Was it younger or older?
2: No, not old. No. Young and old. Very, very mixed in terms of ages. I mean, I talked to a 26-year-old teacher. There were other young people there. Fairly well off, I would think, on the whole. It certainly wasn't a working-class audience. People, I mean, look well-dressed and well-off, Yeah.
1: So there you are in the Palais de Congrès. 3,700 people, largely white, all ages, well-dressed and so on. But nevertheless, this is a kind of obscure debate as you've got it. Now, When Zemmour came on, what was he saying? I
2: mean, he came on with his arms aloft and and people cheering and clapping and and shouting, Zemmour Président, Zemmour Président. This is for a man who has hinted very, very strongly that he wants to become the next French president, but hasn't officially said that he's running. So it, when he came on, I mean, it, it, all of a sudden, it took on the feel of an election rally, and the debate moderator, um, who's actually a film producer, then had to intervene and said, "Excuse me."
1: D'abord, je vais vous dire une chose et un conseil. Ce n'est pas un meeting politique ce soir.
2: This isn't an election rally. You have to be quiet and listen with respect. To the opinions of both the people on the stage at which point Zamor sat down and the audience sat down and stopped clapping and then the debate started really and it started actually with a film of the two debaters childhood. Uh, Ce de grew up in Drancy which is a paris suburb quite a run down and quite a difficult paris suburb actually he's from a family of Noir and Noir with the french people who went over to algeria when it was a french colony and settled there and then came back often in very difficult circumstances uprooting and leaving everything they had behind them when algeria gained independence in 1962 So his family moved back and moved to Transy, this rather run-down estate, and he was talking about it after the film, he was talking about it and saying how much he liked it there, what a great place it was to grow up at the time, and how there were immigrants there at the time, but they were all white. They were Portuguese immigrants and Italian immigrants. And he said, and there was absolutely no one wearing a Muslim headscarf at the time, and if they had, they would have been chased out of here. And then the film cut to a picture of this estate and now, and he said, Look at how the population has changed.
0: But it's not the same population. When we say, i tell you, the grand remplacement, we see it. It's simple, it's evident, it les yeux. c'est It's
2: a grand remplacement tranquil. You just saw black people in the film. That was how it started.
1: I don't want to put words in your mouth or anybody else, but did you get the impression that what he was saying was, It was good when it was white, and it's pretty bad now it's black?
2: What he is saying essentially is it was good when it was Christian and it's bad now that it's Islamic or Muslim. Whether you can extrapolate that to black or white, I don't know. But he certainly couches it in religious terms rather than racial terms.
1: So we now have the debate. And what does Zamour now say to this large body of people in the Palais de Congrès?
2: So Zamour then runs through his... The themes of his books and the themes of his writings and the themes of his television interventions throughout the years, which is that Islam is a threat to France, that we are in the first stages, I mean, he says the earliest stages of a civil war, which he views as a religious war likening it to the religious wars of the 16th century which then of course were between protestants and catholics but now he thinks that we're heading for a civil religious war between muslims and christians that decadent western civilization is allowing itself to be taken over and that france needs a strong leader to put a stop to immigration and reverse the flow by expelling a certain number of immigrants foreigners who are already here
1: Did he suggest there was any irony between being a person whose family had colonised Algeria and objecting to Algerians living in France?
2: I don't think he'd see that there was any irony at all. I mean, he's explained during the course of this debate that what we are witnessing with immigration is the latest episode in a millennial war I think a war is the right term for, to summarise his view, between Islam and Christianity, that there have been times in the past when Christianity has been on top demographically, militarily, and the colonisation of Algeria was in 1830, one of those times, and I think that he would view that as a good thing, and that what he described now as the colonisation of France by... Muslim immigrants is a demonstration that the tide has turned and now that it's Islam in the ascendancy.
1: Zamour has in the past been convicted for inciting racial hatred and been described by the French justice minister as a dangerous racist. But far from inhibiting their enjoyment of what he had to say, rather the crowd were... Loving it, Loving it. Forgetting from time to
2: time that this wasn't a political rally. Standing up, shouting and cheering and... When I was sitting there, there was a very, very smart young woman on my left who was quite quiet but was clapping politely and an elderly man on my right who was leaping up all the time and shouting, « The president, the president! » They were telling me how Zemmour is the only person in French politics who says things how they are, who says what everyone thinks, that everyone thinks the same way as him in France. But, of course, no-one dares say it because of political correctness, but he's broken the taboo and he dares to say it and given a voice to the voiceless.
1: It's amazing how what people don't dare to say always turns out to be the same thing with lots of people saying it. And saying what no-one can say is already very well-occupied political territory in France. So, you may ask, who is this Éric Zemmour and why should I care about him?
2: Éric Zemmour is, is well-known in France, really, because of two or three things. He's been a columnist for the Figaro newspaper for years and years and years, for as long as I can remember.
1: Le Figaro is France's oldest national daily newspaper and has a centre-right editorial line. But as well as being a columnist and author, Zemmour has made his name playing a particularly Gallic role.
2: It's a very French thing. I don't know if the thing really exists in Britain, but a very political television commentator. Now, there was a, a Saturday night programme. I don't know what you watch on Saturday nights at about 11 o'clock in the evening in the UK, but for years and years there was a programme called On pas coucher. we haven't gone to bed yet, in other words, that had singers actors would come on to talk about their careers writers occasional politician would pop up and then at the end of the table there were two figures one from the right and one from the left who would comment on it and say what they think you know, about the films or about the politicians or about whatever and there was eric zamore who was from the right and a guy called nolly i'm trying to remember i think it was called nolly from the left to represent the two Bush's opinion. They both comment on the films, and the poor actors or filmmakers or writers would have to sit there listening to them. I mean, depending on their point of view, demolish. I mean, generally, the more demolished. He didn't like, obviously, he didn't like actors and, and filmmakers who tend to be lovies and on the left. So he'd, he'd sort of go through them with a sword. But he became a very, very well known figure in France through that. I mean, every Saturday night after dinner, you know, before you go to bed, you watch keep and you watch some more. So, I mean, he's been a household name here for years and years. His books, which is written many of, are bestsellers. The Suicide Francais, the French Suicide, sold hundreds of thousands of copies, I think. This was, again, on, on the decadence of France and how it's being undermined by Islamists and multiculturalism.
1: In Zemmour's demonology, immigration isn't the only cause of France's national suicide. He also talks quite a lot about feminism, which is his other hobby
2: horse. So, in fact, he has two, not one. Feminists are his other great loathing in that they are, quote-unquote, castrating the French male, stopping men from being men with anti-harassment laws and anti-rape laws.
1: Have you actually managed to get through any of his books? I mean, are they, are they well-written?
2: Yes, Yes, I've read The Suicide Francais. I couldn't exactly say that I enjoyed. They're very long, I forget how many pages, I mean, five, were 600 pages of gloom, predictions of the decline and the end of France in the face of Islam and feminism. But no, they are well-written. I mean, he is a genuine intellectual. However, tempting it would be to dismiss him as a sort of toxic anomaly. I interviewed him about that book, actually, and he does have a, a grasp of French history and he is able to structure arguments. And I think that probably makes him all the more dangerous, really.
1: He's in a very particular French intellectual political tradition, isn't he? And one that's difficult for us in Britain to understand because we just don't have it.
2: That's right. There is, of course, an ultra-right intellectual tradition in France that really goes back to the 19th century and the beginning of the 20th century. I suppose that the most celebrated figure of that would be Charles Morat who was the ultra-right-wing figurehead at the start of the 20th century, and, and in a sense, the intellectual foundation of Vichy, the, the regime, collaborated with the Nazis, and is still a figure for the French far-right that is looked at and, and respected today. I mean, he wasn't the only one, of course.
1: Now, you've mentioned a couple of the leaders of that great tradition. Of course, one of the things that unified them was their anti-Semitism. And Zamur, of course, is Jewish. Do you have any sense of whether he sees the contradiction or the problem in that tradition for somebody like him, or does he just skirt over it?
2: Zamor casts his own personal history as a model, really. Here's a family of French origin, but born in Algeria, that came back to France, and who says that he did everything and his family did everything to be as French as possible. So everything that could have linked them through religion through their origins, origins in terms of where we were born, was discarded to become the perfect French, virile French male. And this is the model that he says was the French model I mean, this is his argument in the 60s and 70s that applied to to Jews, but applied also to, and mostly in his verse, to to Muslims who came to France, who francise their names, who Frenchified their names. So, Asnavor, we've talked about Aznavor the Armenian as a case in point. Asnavor, Charles Aznavor wasn't his original name, but he took a French name. So, Zamor says what he did was what everyone did in the 60s, in the 70s, and what we should, France should be doing now, or what at least it should be forcing its Muslim immigrants to do now by being quote-unquote French, which means a whole load of things that are no doubt very, very unacceptable to a lot of people.
1: And one of those includes something to do with non-French first names.
2: That's right. This is another one of his hobby horses. That, that fundamentally, if you're going to live in France, and if you have a children born in France, they have to have a French name. Now, you may ask, what is a French name? He hasn't an answered that. There was a law imposed by Napoleon Bonaparte, I think in 1803, I might get the date wrong, but it's roughly that, that set down basically what was a French name, and what was a French name was a name from the calendar of saints, you know, in the Catholic calendar, each day has a particular saint, plus a few others from history that were outside the calendar, but because people had been using them since the 15th, 16th, 17th centuries, they could do as well. So, Napoleon Bonaparte had this law, you knew what you could name your child or not, and the law basically remained in place until the 1960s when de Gaulle agreed to loosen it so that, I I forget the actual formula, but basically it was so that Muslims could give Muslim names to their children. And then it was got rid of in the 1980s, I think, by Francois Mitterrand, the socialist president at the time. Zemmour wants to bring it back.
1: So you can't call a child Mohammed. Can you call a child Moses, according to that?
2: No, I don't think there's a Saint Moses, is there? No, so I don't think so. I don't think there's a Saint Adam either, so I think I struggle.
1: I think Adam is in the Bible, though. It's I
2: in mean... the Bible, <laughs> yeah, but I don't think he was a saint, was he? He was fallen, so I mean, I think it gets me out of it. Zamour said he will ban those names if he runs becomes
1: president. Coming up, what effect is the sudden rise of Zemmour having on the French political landscape? But first, I'm Matthew Campbell, Foreign Features Editor at The Sunday Times. I've always had a hunger for news, finding out things about parts of the world away from the beaten track. We can only do this thanks to the subscribers of The Times and Sunday Times. Subscribe today by visiting thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. We've heard about Zamur the man, the late night TV show pundit and journalist harking back to the France of his youth before, in his view, mass immigration from non-Christian countries and feminism gone mad ruined everything. So what of Zemmour the politician? Is this a man with policies?
2: He's not yet a candidate, so it's difficult to say exactly what his policies are. But basically, his policies include an end to what the French call regroupement familial. And I think what in the official term in Britain is family reunions. That is, to say if you're an immigrant family, you want to bring over a a mother, a father, a child, an uncle, or whatever to join you. I mean, at the moment in France, that, of course, is possible. And he wants to ban that. Altogether, He wants restrictions on asylum and a whole other res- restrictions on who can come as a student as well. And he also wants to increase the expulsions of illegal immigrants in France. Any immigrant or foreigner who is convicted of a crime would be expelled to their countries of origin. His promise is end or at least greatly stem the the number of immigrants coming into France and increase the number who would be expelled.
1: Does he have any significant policy areas outside those of migration, cultural policies, for example?
2: Not that I know of. I mean, the only ones that I know of, apart from immigration, concern areas of sexual harassment. But I don't know if one would call them policies. Marlene Schaper, who was the gender equality minister, is now the citizenship minister, brought in the law on sexual harassment, trying to curb street harassment, wolf whistling, insults, following people down the street. He would like that repealed. I don't know if that's more than a wish. I don't know whether that comes into the category of policies, really. But no, the answer is no.
1: How is he going down with the public? Let's not talk about polls at the moment. It's just the kind of general atmosphere for his kinds of arguments and the way he puts them.
2: He's obviously a controversial figure, so it depends on who you're talking to. But there are a lot of of French people who buy his books, who listen to him, his television programmes. He has a real audience in France. And all these ideas that make your hair stand on end very often, they go down well.
1: You talked about how at the big assembly in the Palais de Congrès, they said, «Zumour président ». He has come almost out of nowhere, if you look from the outside, in polling figures. Can you tell us what's happened to the polling figures, what the development has been over the last few weeks
2: the polling stations firms institute started analysing his ratings over the summer really. For start it was an issue for them. Should they ask people about Zamor or not? I mean he's not a candidate. Why would you want to poll him? But they started over the summer and they were finding five, six, seven, eight, nine percent people saying they'd vote for Zamor if he ran for president. That's continued to go up throughout September. By the end of September, it was somewhere around 12, 13%. And then the last week, it's gone up to 15, 16, 17%, which is quite incredible figures for someone who, as you've rightly said, come from nowhere and hasn't even said that he's running yet. And it's put the cat amongst the pigeons, as you can imagine, across the rest of the French political
1: class. 17% in British terms would be a relatively low polling figure. Remind us why 17% is actually quite a good polling figure in terms of a French presidential election.
2: Two-round election, you've got the first round where everyone runs, everyone, the animal party, the left-wing, any number of extreme left-wing parties, lots of right-wing parties, so you've got 10, 12 candidates. So in the first round, last time round, Emmanuel Macron got about... 24% from memory in the first round and Marine Le Pen got about 21%, I think 20, 21% in the first round and that took them through to the second round. So the threshold in France for getting through to the second round is relatively low. 17% is not that far away from it and indeed in the recent polls 17% would be enough to get him through into the second
1: round because Emmanuel Macron
2: is doing better but no one else is.
1: If Zemmour's recent success is impacting on anyone, it's the current far-right candidate Marine Le Pen, the leader of a party which itself has used France's anxieties about migrants to great effect.
2: Marine Le Pen, the leader of the far-right national rally, who was Macron's opponent in the second round last time and who was certainly considered as a likely contender for the similar second round place this time, has suddenly found her ratings going down.
0: I will lead the fight once again to unite the largest number of people who want to choose France, defend its independence, freedom, prosperity, and security.
2: I mean, they're going down as the moors has been going up. I mean, it's water going from one glass to another, really. So she's now in a situation where she's by no means sure of getting through to the second round. There's quite a lot of concern, as you can imagine, in her party, people around her. But she's not the only one who's panicking over Zamor's rise. There are the Republicans. Republicans are the French equivalent of the Conservative Party. A long, long time, the main party of government in France, but who have been eclipsed largely by Macron. All their potential candidates, we don't know who they'll choose yet, are also losing ground to Zamor and are on 13%, 14 15% at best. So he's taking support from everywhere, really, on the right.
1: We'll go into that in a little bit more detail at the moment. So let's let's stick to why that is happening. Why is he getting votes from them? What's he got that they've not got? Marine
2: Le Pen has been in charge of the national rally. It was called the National Front, of course, when she took over. She's been in charge for a decade. She's changed not only the name, but quite a lot of the party rhetoric at least
3: whether you're a man or a woman christian jewish or muslim heterosexual or homosexual you are first and foremost french
2: she's toned it down she's much more moderate in what she says than the previous leader who was her father jean marie le pen she's avoiding has avoided the sort of racist anti-semitic remarks for which her father was known policy has been to show that the national rally is a potential party of government and that she could be trusted with running for the country. The risk that she always ran was leaving a space to her right for someone who would come and be as outrageous as her father was. And that seems to be exactly what's happened. Zamor has taken that place that she's left by seeking to be respectable.
1: So, in other words, she's been caught in the classic bind that she's been forced to move a little bit to the centre, and as she moves a little bit to the centre, she loses some of that kind of populist pizzazz.
2: She's being outflanked. The more supporters who I met at the Palais des Congrès at the debate stroke rally—that's what they said to me—is that he now is the only one who says out loud what everyone thinks, whereas she's trapped in the system of political correctness, which means that she can no longer say what everyone thinks.
1: Now, does Zemmour actually have any political experience?
2: None whatsoever. I mean, he, he has almost no experience of running anything, really. Compared to him, Donald Trump was a maestro of decision-making experience, really. I can't see that Zemmour has done anything apart from write and talk throughout his lifetime. I mean, he writes well, he talks well, but I mean, he's never run anything. He's entering entirely uncharted territory.
1: So he has no organization of any kind?
2: He has now something called Les Amis de Zamor, the Friends of Zamor which is a kind of association of people who like him. Now, how well-structured and how well-organised that is, I don't really know. They've obviously got a, some kind of structure and some kind of organisation, because throughout the summer, if you were driving around France and if you were driving around Paris, you would suddenly almost see on bridges or roadsides posters saying, the more president, the more president. So they've obviously got some kind of structure. It's not a campaign team yet. I think it's a structure that will become a campaign team when he, if, as everyone imagines, he will announces that
1: he is a candidate. Zemmour recently made a splash, literally and figuratively, when pictures of him bathing in the Mediterranean Sea in the arms of a younger woman featured on the cover of France's gossipy magazine Paris Match.
3: Rick Zemmour
0: and his collaboratrice se retrouvent une de Paris Match. C'est à la une de Paris Match demain. Éric Zemmour et sa très proche conseillère. La
3: une aussi de Paris Match.
2: He was on the front cover of Paris Match with Sarah Nafo, who's his political advisor. He's 63 and she's about 30. He was in the sea hugging her. They weren't wearing very much except their swimsuits. He'd been caught by a very celebrated paparazzi who'd been sent down to photograph him on what is officially a, a, a book signing ceremony on the Riviera. He knew that the paparazzi was hanging around outside his hotel, because I think the paparazzi had actually told him. Zemmour is married with three children. I don't know whether his wife is concerned about this or not. Having a mistress in France has never been a bar to high office. On the contrary.
1: Zemmour cried foul, but he could, after all, have got a room. So many suspect he was a not-unwilling pap victim. Eh bien, being on the cover of Paris Match did the incumbent president no harm in 2016. Emmanuel
2: Macron, who at the time wasn't a very well-known figure either, to be honest, in France. I mean, he'd been an economy minister and a political advisor, but he wasn't a household name. He was on the front cover of Paris Match at the seaside with Brigitte, his wife. And, of course, there's a big age difference between them, but in the other way, she being older than him. I don't know what the truth is, really, but there was a lot of speculation that Zemmour wanted to get himself onto the front cover of Paris Match to show that he was serious about becoming president.
1: Finally, Adam, uh, what kind of condition is france in and what does the say i mean one of the things about far right wingers is they're always very i don't know they attract the attention a lot and then you get a result like the german election in which the social democrat comes from nowhere and does really well and you think well maybe i've been looking in the wrong place if we're looking at Zemmour, are we looking in the right place in french politics we
2: are looking at, in the right place I don't know what's going to happen next year. And betting kind on of a French presidential election is like calling the winner of the Rand National. You don't know who's going to fall at and I mean, really, it's impossible to say, but we're looking at the right place because manifestly there has been for, for years in France a strong current of far-right opinion for at least 20 years, 30 years, really. It hasn't gone away. It's deepened, it's strengthened. He is somehow channeling those waters into his stream and so he he is becoming the embodiment of that and we're looking in the right way as well because whatever the result of next year's election we've just been through this huge health crisis i mean the most significant event of of my lifetime and and my lifetime has been going on quite a long time and yet the only thing that people seem to talk about in, in the french political debate at the moment is immigration is islam is integration of immigrants, of assimilation of immigrants.
1: If anything, Zemmour is a throwback, a representation of France's never-ending crisis of national identity and its continuing hang-ups with its colonial past.
2: I mean, I suppose, really, since the 1970s, France has been in this kind of state of identity crisis, almost schizophrenia, whereas it doesn't know whether it wants to be part of the world or retreat behind walls into itself. And in a sense, Zemmour is the latest kind of manifestation of that. I mean, he's someone who projects this image of France of the 1970s, which the 1970s was the end of the Trente Glorieuse in France. The Trente Glorieuse were the 30 glorious years of growth, of de Gaulle as leader, not for the whole of that period, that went from 1945 to 1975. It's a period that the French look back on as a kind of golden era in their history, emerging from the ruins of the Second World War and becoming a global power again. And Zamora is somehow, like a lot of French politicians, casting back to this if only we could get rid of the immigrants or at least if we only would get rid of the Muslim immigrants and then all be Christians again we have a few Italians and we have a few Portuguese and we might have a few Algerians as well but they'll all be called Eric or I don't know you know Emmanuel or whatever then we're going to renew with this wonderful era and part of France is very tempted with it. France is, is a deeply divided country. I suppose many countries are in France, particularly between, we, we used to say the left and the right, but that's no longer really the central division in France. central division in France is between the globalised part of the country, the Parisians who are getting on trains to go to Amsterdam or Germany or Brussels or London or whatever, or, or planes to go to New York, who are at ease in a multicultural society. And then you don't need to go very far out of Paris. You can only an hour and a half, two hours and you get to little provincial towns where basically people hardly ever go beyond the, the main market town nearby them really and where all these concepts of you know, multiculturalism and globalisation and, and all the things that we write about and talk about just seem a complete anathema really and so he's very much playing to that audience across the French division.
1: You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times with me, David Aronovich, and my guest, Times Paris correspondent Adam Sage. You can read more of Adam's work at thetimes.co.uk or in print. The producer was Edward Drummond. The executive producer is Kate Ford. And sound design was by Vulcan Kiseltuk. And if you have a story you think we should be covering, an idea for a future episode, or thoughts on what you've just heard... Send us an email to stories of our times at See you again soon.
3: Planning for your next trip.